been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I've been on the low, I've been taking my time I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine Hey everyone, welcome back to Project Mayday. These are G and Bree, and today we have Chief Mark Romer. And uh, I can sit here and go 15, 20 minutes on his accolades. We will absolutely <laughs> let him talk about all that. But just an overview, 40 plus years in the fire service, 34 of those being in the field and uh, promoting up within the ranks. I mean, that handlebar absolutely speaks <laughs> for itself. Um, so uh, Chief, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and with the transition of, you know, we'll talk all about in the 1970s when you started to becoming a firefighter, becoming, um, you know, captain, engineer, climbing through the ranks, becoming into education, teaching curriculum like you're teaching now. Um, let's start off with the roots. Where do where do we grow up? Where do we get the interest of being, you know, a fireman? Uh, talk about that. Well, let me, let me help you out first. It's a uh, firefighter, not firemen. Okay. Right? <laughs> but, right? Back in the day, it was firemen. Yeah, I get that. Um, but uh, I grew up down in Marin. Um, and when, uh, it was funny, because when I went through high school, and by the way, just a little tidbit, um, my high school uh, is where Robin Williams graduated from. <laughs> down in oh, wow. Just a little little piece of history there, uh, but uh, I, I did my career in, in the in the high school uh, in an architectural program. Uh, it was one of the programs that they offered all the way through, and fully expected to uh, become an architect. And I had some friends that were uh, volunteer firefighters um, at the time in the Corbinier Fire Department, and uh, one of them says, "Hey, you know, we're looking for volunteers. Why don't you why don't you come on down and and, and join up?" And uh, so I turned eighteen in September um, of 76 and uh, went down, um, uh, joined up. And, uh, you know, as they say, the rest was history. Uh, but uh, it was, it was kind of interesting because in, um, at that time, uh, you know, obviously large organizations had uh, fire academies, uh, but uh, this one didn't. Um, and uh, right on the back of the engine, it was 40 hours of training. Mm. That was uh, and at that point they said, Hey, you're blessed. Um, start <laughs> and, uh, you know, our, our, our turnout coat, um, I wish I still had it. Uh, my turnout coat was canvas duck. It had a, a corduroy collar <laughs> with that kind of stuff. Uh, and the inside was flannel. Um, and, uh, we wore, uh, you know, a, a pair of wool pants and, and our black duty boots. Wow. And that's how we went so you know the helmet was uh, you know the turtle shell at the time, but uh, had ear flaps, no 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 hood. Uh, and our SCBAs were uh, you know the uh, pressure demand type. Mm. Uh, so you know I, if you want to talk about seeing things change over the years, yeah, I've seen a lot of that over the years. Yeah, and. Uh, and Oh, no. Uh, so what's in interesting about you is, you know, you, you started in the 1970s. However, now you're still in the field as far as education goes. And, and you know, I'm sure you have boots on the ground when you go when you go out to departments. Um, but you're changing and you're able to adapt and, and evolve and you're able to talk about the mental health aspect and you're able to um, get 
familiar with something that's unfamiliar to you from the 1970s. So talk about that a little bit. What, what, mm-hmm. how, why are you so adaptable where other people aren't? Well, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting question because um, throughout my career, um, obviously, um, I've seen a tremendous amount of change. And with that, you have, you have to adapt to it. Um, if you don't adapt, if you don't start realizing things are, are progressing, uh, you fall way behind. When you fall way behind, that's, that's where you get yourself in trouble. Um, and that's the whole thing with uh, mental health. Um, you know, I, I've, I've seen things go through my career. I've seen people have issues throughout their career. And I've been able to realize that, you know what, we've got to start doing something for ourselves out there. Uh, and uh, one of the things that was implemented in the most recent rewrite of our Firefighter One program is a whole section on introduction to uh, mental health, uh, as well as cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, can't tell you how many friends I've lost now to cancer. Um, but at the same time, um, I've seen a lot of people go down because of, of mental health issues also. Yeah. And so being able to see that, being able to recognize that and, and be able to adapt and be able to, uh, for me now, present that information um, and to be able to present it from a, a real life position um, of seeing those type of things occur over my career. Um, I, I've been able to do that. Yeah. You know, Romer, let's kind of talk about your personal experiences because you are a living example of being able to have a very long, successful career in fire service. So when you were 18 years old, starting out in the fire service, what were some things, were there some calls that made ha- may have been difficult for you? Yeah, there was, um, in fact, it was the first structure fire that I ever went on. And I remember I talked about it in that one interview. Um, and, you know, when, when they put me through that 40 hours of training, no one ever told us what it's like to go to a call. Um, and I, I, rem- I, re- I can remember that call to this day uh, and the, the key points about that call. Uh, remembering riding on the back of the engine going down the freeway. Uh, there was four of us on the back. It was an open cab engine. I know who my company officer was. It was Kent, all right? Um, and the people that were riding alongside of me, Rick and, and Patty, you know, and just knowing who all those people were and and making the corner because we just see the column of smoke and we were a mutual aid and we were going to be the second due company arriving and and the right-hand turn, the next right-hand turn, house on the left-hand side, it was a yellow with white trim. I mean, just... The, the finite details of that and and being told, hey, we need you to pull a line around to the, to the back, leave the back, and getting back there and seeing, you know, okay, here's the kitchen, it's on fire, go put it out. And then remembering Chief Archer walking up to us and saying, hey, don't go in that way. There's a body right there. And looking down, and at, at 18 years old, I've never seen a, a, a a deceased body before, and, and certainly one that hadn't been burned uh, to almost unrecognizable, um, you know, just a, a lump of uh, burnt flesh sitting there, and seeing that and and realizing, wow, oh, okay, that sudden, whoa. And then from there, every time I stayed at the firehouse for months, 
having the same reoccurring dream. Mm-hmm. So body getting up and, and moving towards me. And I saying, help me, help me. Mm. And knowing that there was nothing I could do. I just, it was, it was gone. Uh, and that would wake me up instantly. And for the rest of the night, I wouldn't sleep. Mm. I mean, I, I'd sit there and stare at the phone. All right. Because the, the phone upstairs would light up when, when the seven digit 911 call would come in. <laughs> I'd, I'd be on, on point. Okay. Is that going to be another call? Is it going to be that one that I'm not another one again? And it took months for that to finally diminish and, and finally go away. But I was afraid to talk to anybody about it. Yeah, absolutely. There, there was, you did. At that point in time, you were seen as weak. Mm. And, and it was just like, okay, uh, we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they finally diminished. They finally were able to go away. Because uh, at the time, I was a, what they call a resident or a sleeper. And so, you know, I'd stay there maybe one or two nights a week at the max. And then I was gone out doing other things and, and able to get, you know, good sleep at night at home mm-hmm. away from that. That's one of those keys where you can you can mentally process things in your subconscious. And that's mm-hmm. what allows you to do, especially that real deep sleep. Yeah. Tell you what, I never said a word to anybody. I did not want to seem weak. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for sharing that as a story, Chief. And how how long do you think it was before you started feeling okay after that call? Oh, gosh. It was, it, it took probably six months wow. before those dreams weren't occurring any longer. Mm. So, you know, with, with that being said, six months, you know, some people take longer than that. Some people are, you know, shorter than that. And then, you uh, you know, I know I, just based on, you know, our knowledge of you and, and talking of you outside of, you know, this podcast, you have worked in very busy systems. So talk about what it's like to not be able to vent and to talk about that crazy major call and then going right into another one and then going right into another one for 36 years. Like what's that like? Yeah. You know, um, in the, the good part of that was that once I started teaching, um, and like a fire tech classes, those type of things, I was actually able to start, um, talking about those things. But that was, geez, I, I left, uh, Marin in 89, 89, and I started teaching at AR um, about a year and a half later. Uh, and it was at that point that, you know, I started uh, being able to talk about that with, with the students and kind of sharing that information because I knew that no one shared that information with me. No one said, hey, you're going to have bad calls out there. Mm-hmm. No one's just going to be ugly. Um, you know, even in, I remember... I was like one of the first EMTs um, in EMT class. And, you know, they teach you CPR. Well, you know, I'm sure Ray, you probably go into it now. Hey, by the way, when you start thumping on somebody's chest, it's going to be ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the case. I remember sitting in the back of the ambulance after because I heard the doc say something. God, this guy's got broken ribs everywhere. And I, I went out. And again, here I am, you know, an 18, 19 year old kid thinking, what, I just killed this guy? You know, mm. um, not knowing. And 
it was kind of nice because the, the guy that was the uh, attendant with me in the back, so I rode with them to the hospital um, doing CPR. He came out afterwards and he goes, hey, Mark, great job. I'm like, yeah, but that's not what the docs did. He goes, nah, you did a good job, man. <laughs> that, that's just one of the things that just happens out there. Mm. And that, that opportunity of being able to, you know, start communicating those type of things to people out there, um, that's one of the things that really helps you. Right, being able to talk about your experiences and, and letting other people know, and, and that's what I think really helped me, um, especially later on, um, being able to communicate that. And today, I, I really discuss everything with all my students. You know, it's very interesting that you said that you only felt safe to speak to students, not your own coworkers. Um, can you kind of go into why that was true? They don't judge you. Hmm. That's, that's the key they, they do not judge you um, and uh, they, they absorb that information where you know the feeling was that if you came out across with those type of things out there and, and talking about those things with um, your own personnel the people that you're with and, and working on it again they're going to look at you going what are you a limp come on you know buck up soldier hmm. uh, and so it was easier to communicate to those out there that you're not working with, I think that really helps out. You know, something else too, you were a division chief and when you go into more of an administrative role, how does that change who you can talk to if something was bothering you from the field? Well, um, when, you, when you move up into um, management roles, um, one of the things I found was that, you know, the bosses that I worked for at that point, um, I was really good friends with um, to begin with. And it was a little bit easier to talk with them um, than it would be to, you know, go talk with the guys that were on the line. Um, mainly because, um, you know, they they had, you know, possibly the same type of experiences that um, I have had um, over the years. Um, and uh, so... It, and it just felt a little bit more relaxed that it wasn't going to be, you know, judged. Um, you weren't going to be judged by that. So something that I've noticed so far is something that you keep bringing up is judgment. That you think that your coworkers will judge you either as weak. You know, we have this thing where it's weakest chain, right? If you're the weakest link in the chain, the chain can break, right? And it's that mentality that has really put us where we are today with first responders not reaching out, not looking for resources and really internalizing a lot of these struggles, even with people that we see more than our own family, right? This yep. is our secondary family. We eat, sleep, we do everything with, we depend on each other. And then yet when it comes to the most intimate areas of our life, our mental health and how we feel and think, we don't discuss that. Yeah, we don't. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, and I hope that um, as we, we start to instruct our younger population coming in, um, that, uh, and that's one of the things I really enforce when I'm, I'm teaching. Cause I, I do the whole segment in the academy on PTSD. And, and that whole process. And that's one of the things I really stress with them is, is look at, you, you need to talk with people out there. Um, and if you're having problems, and, and I say, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with, you know, the crew that you're working with, reach out to somebody else um, uh, that understands. Uh, 
and I, you know, and I, I go through the whole litany of, of people that you can do, whether it's, uh, you know, accessing through um, uh, your EAP programs, um, employee assistance programs, if you're, you know, even clergy if you need to. Um, maybe the fire chaplain, because most of the fire chaplains have been out there. They've been on the job before. They know what those things are, uh, and they can help you um, work through that process. I had a, a young uh, student uh, about three or four semesters ago uh, that was probably suffering um, some effects of PTSD from the military. And, uh, you know, I, I saw him starting to dive a little bit in the academy and some things getting to him. And, and it was interesting because when I was talking with him, I, I was doing my eval and I started hammering him pretty hard about, you know, his grades falling off. And uh, he broke down immediately. You know, uh oh, okay, we're, we're going to end that part. Now let's, Let's talk about what's going on in your life. And, um, and, and me being able to, I've already talked about this stuff in the past, was he was able to kind of start to open up on that. Um, and I, I said, hey, you know, we can get you help. And he was, he was actually afraid of going to get professional help, you know, from you know, like a psychiatrist or something like that, because he didn't want that stigma to go along with him. Um, and I said, well, I've got a good friend that's, you know, a chaplain. How about we get you in touch with that person? Mm. Because that's going to be confidential. No one's going to know about that. And he was very open to that. And I did. I got him in contact. And it was amazing to see once he was able to talk to that person, grades started shooting up. Uh, and he's now in full-time employed in the fire service. Um, and, and I, you know, having those kind of resources to, to, to fall back on, um, really helps out. You don't feel that comfort level to talk with those that you have around you because they might be judgmental yeah. in that way they act. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, and then, so, you know, take it back a little bit when you were in the field, um, you know, you said you were a little bit more reserved in the field as far as mental health goes, but when you became a captain, which, you know, you run your own station, so to speak, did you provide that, Do you, you know, just, you know, retrospect here and kind of reflecting on yourself and your career, when you were a captain, do you think you provided that space for your firefighters to uh, come to you? Nope. And why do you think that is? Uh, again, that fear of um, even myself being judgmental against somebody. Mm. Uh, because here I am. I, I've grown up in the fire service. Uh, hey, don't be wimp. All right? Step up to the plate. Uh, and I didn't want to jump in on somebody and and be judged or think they're I'm being judgmental of them uh, mm. about this. Uh, and, and again, back then there was no PTSD. Mm. There was, but you know what I'm saying? There mm-hmm. was. Um, and so, you know, not recognizing what those type of needs were, uh, you know, didn't do it. We, yeah. we just didn't talk about those things. Yeah. You know, I look back, um, and again, everything's compounded, right? So, yeah, I might have these calls and all this stuff that I go to, but what's happening in your personal life also, right? And those things have an, an impact. Um, I had a, uh, he was a uh, captain that worked for me on one of my uh, rewrites uh, for the state. And real nice guy worked in the uh, neighboring department that I used to work in down in Marin. And um, 
I, I heard through you know a number of people that uh, he was uh, having some issues uh, with the department, but at the same time he was having some serious personal issues. Um, his wife was leaving him. There's a, some financial issues and stuff like that. And the next thing I heard, he killed himself. I mean, they 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 had to send the sheriff down uh, to do a welfare check, and they found him dead. Wow. Uh, you know, again, and, and that was geez. 2000. Hmm. I mean, so we're not talking that long ago. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're 2021 right now. This was 2000, and we still weren't talking about PTSD. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. They were happening. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I love that you're calling yourself out to the carpet and, and being able to say, no, like I didn't provide that space for, for my firefighters. And, you know, that's that's what it's all about. It's about growth and knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, you were, you operated with what you knew at the time and now you know a lot more and you're able to adapt. And so, you know, if you had that same firefighter at your station, when you were a captain, like put yourself back in that space. Now that you know what you know, how would you have responded or how would you have shown up differently at your station? Well, uh, personally, I would have talked about my issues and those things that I had gone through. Because if if I'm willing to talk about something and open up about something, you know what? Other people are going to be willing to, to open up and talk about those things also. Um, and and say, hey, look, we're not going to judge you for what, what what's going on in your life, what's going on right now. We're just going to get you help. And, and to me, that's, that's the key. The, the faster we can get help to you, the faster you're going to get past with whatever is going on in your life. Um, and uh, like I said, I, I, good example. Found that kid, you know, basically crashing and was able to, to get him help very, very quickly. It made that space for him uh, so that he could start to heal himself. And you know, and those are the things I would do now. And that's what is so powerful in your position is because you have transitioned that we've kind of talked about from this good old boy system, you know, where it really is, quote, old school, but you can take care of yourself. You're fine. You have to be strong to do this job, which is still true to this day. You still have to do self-care. You still have to be incredibly strong to see the things first responders see. But now it's more prevention before we get to that point. And that's exactly what you said was once you get way behind, it's really hard to make up versus doing something like you're sharing your story with your academy, the new generation coming in. Do you see how open I am? Things will happen to you. It is is a guarantee if you stay in this profession. Absolutely. You know, another good example, Um, 4th of July. Uh, I'm working down in Marin, and we get dispatched to a – bicyclist versus car on a roadway that um, I've ridden my bike down when I was a young kid. I mean, the, the, the object was to go all the way down the roadway without brakes on. <laughs> um, and as we pull up to the scene, here's this, this patient on the ground, face down. There's a PD officer standing over him. I, I can see it's bad. Uh, I, I roll him over, and the guy's the same age as I am at that point. He's in this you know, early thirties, I'm in my early thirties. I'm looking at this person. I, I can obviously see that he's not going to make it. Um, and the, the girlfriend walks up and is, is over the top of me. 
And she goes, is he going to be fine? And I'm like, uh, we're doing everything we can. Uh, I get back because I had very little help. I had a, a, a volunteer firefighter that was helping me. It wasn't really that big of a help. You know, the medics finally showed up and they started taking care of him. And, and I was able to, you know, pass off that, that patient care. Got back from that call. And I remember getting out of the engine and just walking to the, to the side of the firehouse. There was a curb there, sitting down there and just staring out into the park. And I just, I had to mentally kind of sit there and kind of process. And um, the fire chief was walking by. And he looked down at me and he goes, you all right? And I go, oh yeah, I'm fine. I wasn't. It was a stressful situation. I was looking, I was looking down at myself. Mm. That, that could easily have been me. And I'm looking down at that. And, and I just, no, just leave me alone. Go away. I'll process this. Mm. And, I was able to get through it uh, very quickly. No, no real um, nightmares or anything like that about it. But it was just that at that point it was PTS. It wasn't the D, right? It was just PTS because there was that, that stress of that trauma and, and seeing yourself potentially right there and then just kind of sitting there having to process through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being able to relay those type of things to people, I think, is, is probably the most important thing we can do as as instructors, as as full time. You know, if you're if you're in a position of super supervision in an organization, being able to, to relay that so that they can see that, that you're human too. Mm. And you know, you're in a position that's that's got a lot of power and a lot of voice uh, because you've touched so many. Uh, you know firefighters that have gone through your academies and, and classes and including myself, I was in your class, you know, in 2011 when I first started my fire career. And, uh, so what message do you have to say to, to, you know, your past, uh, students and also now your future students, um, what, what, what kind of message would you like to say now to them, uh, when they're going to be watching this? You know, the, the key thing is, is that, don't be afraid to talk about it. Mm. I mean, I, um, you've got to be willing to be open in regards to your feelings and what you're feeling out there and what's going on at that point in time. Because if you don't, it will eat you up. Mm. And it'll just it'll just keep adding on itself. Yeah. Uh, lucky that, you know, at that, age, at that young age, at 18, that I had that incident but I didn't have any other real major ones until, you know, a year or two later. And then, okay, I have another fatality and I have another this. And, and, and they weren't compounded right on top of each other. But we're starting to see that where, you know, our personnel are having these, you know, major incidents, one after the other, after the other. My wife noted it today. She said, God, you know, another people, another group of people just died in a traffic accident. Another one. And, you know, we see that over and over and over again. Um, and uh, when you have multiples that stack up on themselves and you're not able to process through that, I mean, that, that's what's going to get us. Mm-hmm. And so just that openness to, to be able to willing to talk is probably the key. Yeah. And, and this is just out of curiosity. You know, you, you write a lot of curriculum for uh, the state fire marshal. And so 
have you sort of started implementing some of the mental health aspect into the state or are you just keeping it within your uh, fire academy that you're in charge of? Well, the, like I said, the, uh, the new firefighter one program has a four hour module, um, programmed into it now on, uh, PTSD, um, and PTS, um, and just the whole element of, of uh, you know, assisting and, and helping people through that process. Uh, and then I find, um, like you know, when I'm teaching like the company officer series, uh, in the, uh, I think it's the two A, yeah, two A is the human resources one. Um, I do a lot of talking in regards to that, um, in there also and making sure that, uh, our people are, are looking at their employees, paying attention, looking for the signs. Um, you know, we had a, an employee at Roseville that, uh, they ignored the signs, uh, and, you know, alcohol consumed him and he ended up losing his job. And then within three years, drank himself to death. Mm. Uh, that, was, that was the failure to recognize. Right. Um, and, and, or did, but just ignored it. Mm. Um, trying to help that person through the process. They weren't helping them. They were hindering them. Mm. Fortunately, if we had gotten to them maybe, you know, really early on, he could have finished his career out. But it, it, he got to the point where, he just denied. Mm-hmm. That, that's a shame. We, we should never allow that to occur with our people. I, I talk about that um, at that company officer level so that our company officers, when they're out there, they're thinking about this stuff. They're paying attention, looking for changes in, pe- in people's behavior. You know, you, you're there, you know, a third of your life with these people. Um, and early on, you know what they're like um, and pay attention to them. Uh, it's about watching human behavior. Mm. As a, as looking for those subtle changes to occur because that's usually something that's occurring in that person's life that's mm. causing that. Yeah. You know, Mark, um, getting on a personal level, when you've been very stressed out, what was your go-to? What was your sign that you would give out? Detachment? Did you have any incidents where you would maybe have a drink? Were you angry? When someone... What was a time where you were struggling and what did you act like? What was your sign? Later on, it was the family because I was able to come home and not necessarily talk about what's gone on or what's occurred, but just being with them. Right. Being with the, the, my, my children uh, and having that fun, that was the, the stress relief. You know, even though kids can be stressful, it's a different type. Um, and just being there with them um, is one of those things that, that got you out of that mode of, of thinking about what was occurring back over here. Mm. Uh, and, and, and that really helped out. Uh, and then focusing on things. Uh, the organization I worked for down in Marin, um, it became so stressful down there uh, because of a boss that... Um, I was able to focus on, okay, what's it going to take for me to get out of here? What do I need to do to make myself the best to get out of this organization um, and get away from that, that stress that was occurring in that organization uh, and be able to focus on those type of things on what you want to do, where you need to go helped out also mm. getting the, um, so that I could move on to another organization. Those type of things help focus me and, and relieve some of that stress. Cause I knew sooner or later I'll get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chief, we can go 
another hour <laughs> talking to you with the amount of experience that you have. Uh, I know we've probably just touched the surface, but um, we do have to kind of wrap things up here. And how we wrap it up is a little bit of rapid fire. And I know you haven't seen a fire in, in a long time. <laughs> so uh, this YouTube channel. <laughs> and YouTube, and YouTube <laughs> might be a little new for you. Um, oh. <laughs> So uh, it's called Rapid Fire. It's five questions, and uh, you're going to answer them in one word or one phrase. And uh, there are, some of them are a little fun, some, some are a little bit more serious, so we'll see what you come up with. All right, Chief? Sounds good. All right. Okay, first question. If you were the ruler of your own country, what would be the first law you would introduce? Freedom. All right. Uh, Okay. I thought I was going to stop him, but. (laughs) Okay. Second question. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) Number three. On a scale of one to 10, how funny would you say you are? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. However, I don't know if you cracked a joke in our class back in 2000. I don't know if you ever cracked a joke. <laughs> okay. I've been lately, let me tell you. <laughs> All right, fourth question. When was the last time you shaved off your handlebar mustache? Well, that's a great question. Um, and that was back in the 70s. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, actually, let's see. When did I go? I went to work for the pepper mill, right? Um, and I was still a volunteer at the time. And the pepper mill had a no facial hair policy. So for six months, there was no must. I couldn't take it. I was so stressed out. I quit. <laughs> I really hope, I really hope you have a photo of you without a mustache. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Me without a mustache, she threatens. All right, if I'm on my deathbed, she's gonna shave it off just to see. <laughs> I mean, it's a power stash for sure. Yeah, for sure. Whew. All right, last question What is one word to describe the fire service? Fantastic. Ooh, I like that. That was awesome. <laughs> Chief, absolutely. Fire service is fantastic. You're fantastic. I'm sure your students that are going to be uh, hearing this, uh, listening to it, wherever they may be, uh, absolutely consider you fantastic. Um, thank you for those 40 plus years, Chief. And, uh, you know, however many more you're going to give, which you don't need to give anymore. You can absolutely <laughs> retire whenever you like. Uh, so, again, thank you for your service, Chief. And thank you for coming on. Uh, we uh, really appreciate you coming on. I, I feel like I'm in time. Absolutely. All right, guys, this is Project Mayday. Call out. Oh,